Like they say, it's supposed to favor the underdog. How about CJ Baxter on this one? There's no way. Actually, there is. He is that guy. 30, 20. Someone's coming for him. Nobody's going to get him. Touchdown, Edgewater. He had his chance to walk away a winner, but Mr. Brady wanted to win twice. And guess what happens? You lose your wife. And watch this. He slows down here just to make him miss as well. Gives him the stiffy of all stiffies. And kill seven seconds. But a flag's on the field. The ball's loose. And it's going back the other way. It was picked up and it's taken in by DJ Hardy. Game over. Northside calls it. Live from Orlando, Florida, you're listening to The Sports Scene with Jesse O. Oh, turn me red and call me Elmo. Yep, it's me, Jesse O. Welcome everyone to the sports scene on iHeartRadio and iHeartRadio podcast presented by First Bet. We've got another great show for you. Our special guest coming up within the hour is my favorite former NBA big man and coach, Paul McKeskey, who joins me in a little bit to talk about the FIBA Basketball World Cup. But first, who better to be joined by than our dynamic duo of Shrek the Ogre and Donkey the Donkey? And we all know who is who, obviously. And by that, you know I'm talking about my favorite color analyst, Mr. Alvin Delvey, who's ready to go. And you know who else is here. The resident couch correspondent, Max Ronquillo, is back. And for the first week in some time, Alvin has not been cursed. Unfortunately, now that I said that, things are going to go downhill fast because that's a broadcaster's jinx. But so good to have you both with me. And before we get into our top five sports stories for the week, you know I have a question for you both. Max, we're actually going to start with you this week. This is a very, it's a broader question. There's no right answer to this, but you're in a social experiment where you have to choose a roommate for a month from a bunch of quirky people, all right? Your options are a wannabe stand-up comedian, an extreme conspiracy theorist, a nonstop karaoke enthusiast, or an over-the-top drama queen. Who's your cohabitation comrade with the promise of $100 million if you make it through the month without going crazy? But you're already crazy, well, so like whatever. But I, I'm choosing the person who represents probably all four, and I'm going to go with Alex Jones. Okay. All right. <laughs> that for sure got some booze. <laughs> all right, yeah. Alvin, you're you're up. So a wannabe stand-up comedian, an extreme conspiracy theorist, a nonstop karaoke enthusiast, or an over-the-top drama queen. What you going with? Probably the the wannabe comedian. It'd be terrible, but at least maybe he'll give me a couple laughs. Maybe, hopefully. Yeah. But yeah, gotta... and that, that's that would be my opinion because like you can laugh more at them than with them, you know? Yeah. Oh, I'd be pissed whereas, at them like, too, though. Yeah. Whereas like the karaoke enthusiast, I'd, I'd give him two songs and then I'd slap the <laughs> out of him. Yeah, no, you got to get. Yeah, he'd be he'd be in the basement for sure. You got to get duct tape. Like I can't keep hearing that. Yeah. All right, boys. Let's get into our top five sports stories for the week. We're going to start with number five. We're going into the Women's World Cup. It's Spain versus England, the 2023 FIFA Women's World Cup on Sunday. Two soccer-loving countries with the chance to win their first title in this tournament. In fact, it will mark the first time since the inaugural tournament in 1991 that two first-time finalists will go head-to-head. Both teams have dealt with obstacles along the way from England's pre-tournament injuries to Captain Leah Williamson and stars Fran Kirby and Beth Mead, as well as a two-game suspension for midfielder Lauren James, who is eligible to return for the final, to Spain's own injuries and a dose of drama 
from 15 members of the squad sending a letter last fall refusing to play until issues regarding the environment created by head coach Jorge Vilda were addressed. But they both took care of business on the field. Spain dispatched Sweden on Tuesday, riding two goals in a nine-minute span to victory, which was freaking insane, while England ended the dream run for co-host Australia on Wednesday, taking an aggressive approach with star Sam Kerr that paid off. And what to know about the matchup? Well, no matter which team wins, a first-time champion will be crowned, something that hasn't happened since 2011. It will also just be the third time a country has won the men's and women's World Cups. For England and Spain, it would be its second ever title at either tournament. So we're going to keep a lookout on the final here on Sunday, and we'll give you all the information on what happened next week here on the sports scene. All right, let's go into our number four sports story. Some college football for you, Alvin. So much for that suspension for Jim Harbaugh. The agreed-upon four-game suspension for the Michigan football coach has hit a snag and will now not happen. The agreement needed approval from the NCAA Committee of Infractions, which was expected to come out before Michigan's season opener against East Carolina on September 2nd. But now the deal is off. The case will now go through the normal hearing process, which likely will push any punishment into 2024. The suspension was for the level one and two violations the NCAA said Harbaugh and the football program committed. The level two violations stemmed from recruiting and coaching infractions and the level one offenses deemed more serious were from statements from Harbaugh made to the NCAA, which the organization deemed misleading. Alvin, Jim Harbaugh is coaching every game this season. Yeah, it's less than a slap on the wrist. Like it literally is less. But honestly, when you really look at what the, the infraction story, if you really delve into it, it it's kind of it's kind of crazy that we're even talking about this. Texting a recruit during a time not allowed. The times that are allowed is essentially when they're on campus and when like there's every program is texting recruits. That's that's how you get the recruits. Having analysts serve in on-field roles, that means the only people that are supposed to be in practice is just the head coach and assistant coaches, no other people. There's so many people that are involved in practice. There, there's no way to really tell. So that's every every college, every division one, really every college in general probably commits that infraction. And then having coaches watch players work out via Zoom is is one of the other infractions that they got served. So I think when you look at those three infractions, of course, it's going to be less than a slap on the wrist. And another thing, too, is because they're not actually doing anything this year and it gets pushed into next year, there's no telling that if Harbaugh's even going to be in college, he might be in the NFL. I love that he's actually going to be able to coach all those games. Um, and I think he's going to have a great season. He might not even be in college football next year. So it's really less than a slap on the wrist. Yeah, probably not. And then he gets off scot-free. All right, our number three sports story. Let's go into some Major League Baseball for you, Max, because the MLB is looking into social media posts involving Tampa Bay Rays shortstop Wander Franco. Franco did not play in Sunday's 9-2 loss to Cleveland. Tampa Bay did not detail the nature of the social media posts. Franco started Sunday's game in the Rays' dugout, then left it in the fifth inning. Sunday's promotion at Tropicana Field also was the Wander Franco snapback hat for fans 14 and under. But after the game, Rays manager Kevin Cash was asked whether there was any issue with Franco not playing other than a regular day off. Cash said no. Franco was benched for two games in late June by the Rays, though, for how he responded to frustrating situations and not being the best teammate at times. Tampa Bay signed the 22-year-old to 
and $182 million deal, 11-year contract in November of 2021, a deal that could be worth up to $223 million if a team option for 2033 is exercised. Franco, an AL All-Star this season, is hitting 281 with 17 homers and 58 RBIs and is 30 for 40 in stolen base attempts in 112 games, Max. First of all, that whole snapback Franco night, that's pretty that's pretty funny. Especially that's hilarious. And under. <laughs> that, like, that, like that's that's pretty good. And it's kind of messed up to say it, but that's pretty good. Um second of all, I hate to be the voice of reason here. Um, because that's not typically my role in most things. But not at all. It's it's very unfortunate for him to go through something like this. Again you America loves to, you know, find someone guilty immediately, even though that's directly against the Constitution. We we just love witch hunts at, at all levels. And, you know, I don't know what's true. I don't know what's untrue. It does. I, I was hearing some reports that this was potentially the person. Again, if we want to say hypothetically he was in some level of a relationship, I was hearing that it could have been with this 14-year-old girl that he thought was 18 years old, that was actually um, the the mother agreed for that that allowed them to date. So the mother was in on it, saying like, "Hey, you can date my daughter because she is 18." And then reports came out that they were actually asking Wander Franco for two hundred thousand dollars. He said like, "No, I'm not going to pay you two hundred thousand dollars." And then now the reports are coming out that it was it was all a trap. Because she is actually 14, and they're using this as blackmail. I don't know if this is a tinfoil hat type of story or not. It's just I'm just trying to lay out all the information out there. Because, again, we should never um, just say this person is automatically guilty for anything. Did he probably do something? I don't know. But it, it the situation is unfortunate all around because you, you hear about his numbers, and they are so great. And he's probably going through all of the stress in the background, and he's still having a great year. He is a young kid. He's, what is he, 22, 23? He's, he's so young, and he, 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 it sounds like this is a whole blackmail situation that he really caught himself up in, and it's unfortunate. There is going to be a penalty, obviously, if any actions did happen, but hopefully, if the story is correct, where the mother and the, and the daughter were in on this, then hopefully they get actions as well, because no one's clean in the situation, from what it sounds like, and it's unfortunate for the Rays, because they're also a, a really legacy team and it's it, it hurts it hurts my heart because i i'm a big fan of wander franco we've talked about him multiple times and even in the beginning of this year like how he could be an mvp caliber player this year folks keep the tinfoil either on or on the side ready to go because there's going to be a lot more stories coming out about this absolutely max i actually for once will fully agree with you on what you just said there i think that it's important for everyone to know all of What's being said and not just like one side of the argument. All right, our number two sports story. Let's go into the NBA. The Philadelphia 76ers reportedly aren't playing ball anymore with star guard James Harden's latest trade request. According to ESPN, the franchise has shut down trade talks concerning Harden and is planning to bring back the 10-time All-Star and 7-time All-NBA selection to training camp. This sets up a potential standoff as Harden has been disgruntled about his future status with the team and could consider sitting out of practices as leverage toward an eventual resolution. And obviously, Alvin, he was looking for a bigger long-term contract, more money. What are your opinions on this situation? I think it's just one of the situations where uh, this is the negative side 
to players having having power essentially in the NBA and just sports in general. Because obviously there's going to be the, the positive side and that's the side that we all harp on. But I think it is a business. There's going to be people who are definitely like like a shark in, in the water, really just trying to shysty their way out. Because when you think about it, you look at his career, obviously phenomenal athlete. He wouldn't be getting these types of numbers and he wouldn't be as coveted as he is if he didn't have um, production, great production that is on the court. But really, the only team that dealt him away was his uh, Oklahoma City Thunders, the, the team that drafted him. And from there, it's, it's kind of like, you know, you hear the stories like, OK, when, when, when a guy gets their heart broken one time, they turn to a dog. They can be the nicest guy. One heartbreak turns to a dog. That's what he is. He was a, a really sweet guy and then got dealt with the Thunders. And from there, every team since then, he has forced his way out. I'm talking like fat suit. Uh, he's putting Medea fat suits on to get out of out of teams and it, it's crazy it's absolutely crazy to see him consistently get it done obviously I got to throw some D weight some some heat stuff in there because it's just impossible for my mind to wrap around the fact that James Harden is probably going to get out of the Sixers before Lillard gets out of the Blazers and it's because James Harden does it the wrong way and in society right now we reward the wrong way and I think it is wrong but to go on his comments, his comments are crazy. He he's in China for an Adidas uh, meet, and he's and he's just yeah. He go he goes crazy. He goes crazy and says what he says. And I think the disconnect is just Harden assumed that he was going to come in there and immediately when he wants his max contract, he's going to be able to get it. But when you look at the production, you look at what they're trying to do as a team, and you look at how he performs in the postseason, it's hard to do that if you want to win a championship. So I think both sides are warranted. More so the 76ers for not getting rid of them because they need something in return in order to, to utilize that asset and actually make it worth their while. But I think Harden's a little out of line, but I mean, he's getting paid million, plus million dollars a year. So, or not a year, his contract is like that. So I think, I guess it's warranted. And now for our number one sports story. Max, if we gave you $1 million to buy Alvin something, what would you buy him? Oh, I need to hear this. Um, I'd buy him a gym. Really? Hey! Because he's, look, he's looking wow. small. Oh, goodness. Oh, wow. Wow. He has to do something. But, like, good man. <laughs> I wish we could get into that more, but stay tuned for our real number one sports story, which is coming up here right after this. Welcome back to the sports scene for our second segment, everyone. Obviously, NFL preseason time. And for NFL fans, there's only one rule when it comes to watching preseason games. Don't overreact. But there are still some important lessons to be gleaned from teams' first showings. From position battles to rookies finding their way, the contests can provide a useful snapshot of where things stand at a given time. And with that said, here are my winners and losers of week one in the NFL. We're going to start off with the Chicago Bears. Quarterback Justin Fields is my first winner. Because it's always a good day for a quarterback when he can throw for 129 yards and two touchdowns on three of three passing while barely doing anything on his own. On the third play of the Bears opening drive against the Tennessee Titans, Fields hit DJ Moore on a screen pass, which the Bears speedy receiver took to the house for 62 yards. And running back Khalil Herbert did the work on the next series, taking a short pass 56 yards for the score. So... A big start off here for Justin Fields, Alvin. Yeah, I like I like Justin Fields. I definitely think that he's gonna progress nicely. I think uh, he's had some issues, and it really his his biggest issue was just being poised and calm in the pocket. 
But, you know, when you're getting blasted from left, right, and center, it's definitely tough to to stay in the pocket. So I think he's going to have a, a phenomenal year, especially if he continues to progress and understands when and how to utilize his legs and just trust the system a little bit more. And I think it's going to be uh, a little bit easier, obviously, given the new weapons that he's just received. All right, let's move on to the New York Jets pass rush. That's my other winner. Because no one is pushing Aaron Rodgers out of the spotlight for them. But the Jets collection of talent along the defensive line is really something to behold, Alvin. Even with the starting front four all sitting out, the group managed to feast against the Carolina Panthers with the defense racking up five sacks and eight quarterback hits. Also, I say that because Aaron Rodgers isn't the only former NFC star that joined the New York Jets backfield this season. It was just announced that four-time Pro Bowl running back Dalvin Cook will sign a one-year contract worth up to $8.6 million with Gangrene. Yeah, I, I I obviously like that. A few shows ago, I was just he's he's a guy. Dalvin Cook is a guy that I I think even though he's you know the running back market is where he is and, and his age and you know injury all these different things you can factor in. He still has uh, four consecutive a thousand yard rushing seasons, and the Jets have not had that since 2015, and that was with Chris Ivory. Um, so I think. The Jets are going to be pretty scary. I think Aaron Rodgers coming in there, he's slinging a thing, doing a good job. And I think Garrett Wilson, Sauce Gardner, this D-line, I think the Jets can be really, really good. I don't think you can be overhyped on them early because without injuries, obviously that's the biggest thing in football. Without injuries, I think the Jets are going to be very, very, very scary. And Dalvin Cook yeah. can go crazy. You were, you were speaking of injuries, starting running back Brees Hall for the Jets is not practicing with the team because he's continuing to work his way back from a torn anterior cruciate ligament, which he suffered last October. Jets coach Robert Sala has maintained that any interest in Cook is not a reflection on Hall or the second year ball carrier's health, but that could be a very dynamic backfield once he's able to actually make it back. My next winner, loser, I don't even know what this is actually. So this is like a bubble one for me. And of course, when anything's in the bubble, we have to turn to our resident couch correspondent to see what his opinions are on this. But Max, Ezekiel Elliott has found a new home. Elliott, who's a three-time Pro Bowl and a one-time All-Pro selection, who played all seven of his seasons with the Dallas Cowboys, will sign a one-year deal with the New England Patriots worth up to $6 million. Elliott, who's 28 years old now, has been Dallas's workhorse running back, though he became expendable after the Cowboys saw Tony Pollard emerge as an explosive weapon. And Elliott's numbers have steadily declined with his 3.8 yards per carry average, 231 carries and 876 rushing yards from last season. All marking career lows. Obviously, that's because they did play Tony Pollard a little bit more. He still scored 12 touchdowns, however, and factored significantly into their offense. Does he fit into the Patriots? Like, does he make them better? Do you think he's going to be an absolute bust? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I- my friend actually, um, who's in my fantasy football league, funny enough, tweeted this because um, he's a big Patriots fan, um, and I think he nailed it right on the head when he called them the next Legarrette Blunt. Because um, Legarrette Blunt, a few years ago, led the NFL in touchdowns. Um, I think he had like seventeen, eighteen, nineteen touchdowns. He most of his games, he was going maybe a total of 10 yards getting a touchdown or two and calling it a day. 
And that's kind of what they are going to get out of Zeke, right? He's not explosive as he used to be, but he is very powerful at the end of the day. We're, we're going to see that 3.8 um, attempts per, per rush, yards per rush, probably go down to like, you know, 3.5, 3.3, three, whatever. They have other running backs on their team as well. They have Pierre Strong, who's also on my fantasy team, got shot him out. I think they still have that Brand Bowden guy. They have some other... The, the Patriots are are a weird Niners combo where they just have bodies to throw at the running back position. And then they have a dog with Zeke who is just going to be the ground and pound guy, getting them those extra yards, getting them those touchdowns. And I can see him being productive for both teams. And I can also see him probably having a healthier um, and being less, less injury prone type season because they're not going to rely on him at, as the one, right? I mean, they, they are going to utilize him a, a good amount. I but I don't see him going 50-50 as he did with Tony Pollard and then maybe like a 60-40 roll towards the end of the year. I see him, you know, maybe in that 45%, 40% usage, maybe even less, 35 whatever. But he's, his legs are going to be rested. He still has the chance to, you know, really, you know, be he, – he, he, he can still break some tackles, go on some big runs. But yeah, he's gonna merge right and nicely into this Laguerre Blunt, uh, you know, role, and I think it, it, the Patriots are gonna benefit it from tremendously. Yeah, you, you actually hit the nail on the head there because they also do have Ramondre uh, Stevenson, who did have a pretty good year last year. So, like you said about usage rate, if you play less, you're less likely to get injured. So, yeah, if he's somewhere in that forty-five percent playing range. I think that could be yeah. Like even, I forgot yeah, Ramondre. He's much. really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like thirty percent. He, he, yeah, his well, legs will be healthy. His knees will be healthy. He'll be he'll be fine for these awesome opportunities for him. I, yeah, I, do, like, I, I think he's going to be just fine. I think he's going to wear one five. He's going to be fifteen back in Ohio State. His mental is going to be right. He has his chickens in a row. Um, and I think with Bill Belichick, like he said, Max is going to be phenomenal. I'm really excited for October 21st. Oh yeah, is that when the Miami Dolphins That's play? When they play the boys. The New England Patriots. That's when they play the boys. Yes, sir. All right, and Zeke's going to go off for 300 yards. There it he is. We now know. All right, all right. Let's go into the losers, and my losers are the top rookie quarterbacks. There's obviously no reason to panic, gentlemen, or being trying to reassess draft classes early, but in broad terms. Each of the four quarterbacks selected in the first two rounds in April endured debuts that were either underwhelming or uneven at best. So the Panthers, Bryce Young, number one pick, managed to survive a four of six passing day for 21 yards, despite being under constant duress. Number two pick, CJ Stroud, also faced abundant pressure on Thursday for the Texans, but his returns were less encouraging. The Ohio State product looked unsure in his decision-making and his interception to Patriot safety Jalen Mills after staring down his receiver underscored the need for a quicker trigger. Anthony Richardson was a known work in progress when the Indianapolis Colts took him at number four after a career at Florida in which he notched just 13 starts. But for all the progress and promise, Richardson served up a few reminders Sunday of his lingering issues. And anyone who began speculating when Will Levis would supplant Ryan Tannehill as the Titans starter, might want to focus on the second rounder from Kentucky being mired in a battle for the backup job instead. Alvin, your thoughts on those quarterbacks? I, I think it's, uh, it's it's preseason, so once again, we do have to keep that in mind. But 
I think that really is the point of preseason. It's, uh, it's guys understanding and trying to figure out the jump from just the playbook standpoint. And with the at the quarterback position, it's not just about the talent. You know, everyone's like, oh, well, because it's preseason, you're playing against younger guys on the defensive end. Like, it, it should all be relatively – it's going to be a step above, but it should be relatively similar to college because you're not playing against the vets, the true pros. But for quarterbacks, there's so much you need to learn day one you've been doing something for two, three years and you finally became comfortable and that confidence of understanding what you're doing leads you to play the way you play that got you drafted. Now, when you go to the league, there's a bigger playbook. There's less time as far as just length of time you, you have to understand it, but then you have to understand it a million times better than what you've understand your previous playbook. New coaches, new coordinators, new facilities, new everything. Your whole life is changed upside down. Obviously with NIL, Players are more accustomed to money than they were back in the day, but there's still a drastic change in just everything that you have to do on a day-to-day basis. So I think all of that change, it comes to fruition, it comes to accumulation or exposing point rather when you're in these moments in preseason. So I think it's just going to take a little bit of time for them to get accustomed to what they're doing. And I think once they find their rhythm and flow later on in preseason, that's when you start really judging them. Not critically, but just understanding where they're going to be at, at least to start the year. And then as the year rolls on with the reps that they obtain, they, they might be a little bit better. But, yeah, I think it was a little bit of a rough start for, for, the, for the rookies. My other loser is the San Francisco 49ers quarterback Trey Lance. Brock Purdy, having made a speedy recovery from elbow surgery, any path for Lance to kind of reclaim his former starting gig is closed. And now there's a serious battle for the number three pick to be relegated to the backup's backup. Because Lance looked out of sorts Sunday against the Raiders, taking four sacks and sending the offense to three and outs on the first three series. The only thing that seemed to go his way, which might also not be a good thing, was when what he threw a surefire interception that bounced off the Raiders cornerback, Duke Shelley, right to 49ers, Ross Dwelly, who snagged it for a touchdown. And Sam Darnold, meanwhile, seemed more settled behind center. So given the 49ers injury history, an eventual return to action in some form is not out of the question for Lance, but his development is clearly lagging. And I thought the the inter, the surefire interception, what should have been, was the worst throw he made all game. And he took four sacks as well. It was just, it was completely out of sorts watching him under center. He needs to be more comfortable in the pocket, specifically because with the 49ers system, it's tailored around Brock Purdy now. It's not about being a mobile quarterback. It's can you stand in the pocket? Can you make throws? He excels at the long distance throws, but it's the short gimme throws that he really needs to work on. And the 49ers got slapped by the Raiders in the first <laughs> game of the preseason. Max, and speaking of your Raiders, just your final thoughts on what you saw from the preseason, from the Raiders, from anyone else. Zamir White will yes. be the absolute yeah. dude. I'm Josh Jacobs, for my do, do me a solid, please. Just sit out this year. It's for your own health. It's for your own benefits. And it's for my Dynasty League's benefit as well. Because I need that <laughs> man to cook. And finally, obviously, dude, the process. Oh my T Law. T Law. Dude, just, I don't even want to say a single thing until February. Because we all know what we're going to watch then. Because it's looking that Houston nasty. 49ers. Oh, okay. 
Just listen. No one wants to believe me, but I've been yeah, saying it for um for so since last year. I've been saying it. I've I was like, not this year, just watch out and I mean also speaking of that as well, last last take. But Calvin Ridley, I mean, I'm watching his videos on Twitter. Twitter, that boy is going on dancing with the stars after this season because nice. he's got some feet. He's got some feet that, that can be on on some of these uh, OnlyFans. You know what I mean? Because that's how na- that's how nice they are. Seriously, because dude, he he he's a new beast, and he's now with my boy Trevor Lawrence, and I can only be more excited. Um, one that the Raiders are. They're only going to win the preseason, so that's great. That's great news for me as a Raiders fan. <laughs> but I can oh, rely man. on Trevor Lawrence to really just bring it home. Just bring it home for me, boy. Should we put a bet on this on the show right now? Like, okay, Trevor Lawrence makes it to the AFC Championship or the Super Bowl. Max takes that. We take everything else. Oh, dude, I, to the AFC Championship, that's easy money, 100%. Alvin, are you down oh, to wow. get in on this bet? Let's do it. At okay. this point, we have to do it. We're betting a beer mile. Okay, a that's fine. A beer mile? A beer mile. That's terrible. But now yes, I have to bet yes. Trevor Lawrence. Like, I have to, I have to, I mean, let's, let's do it, but I'm sorry, Trevor. Max, let me do it. All right, Max, is that a yes from you? That's easy. Okay. Well, we're, we're going to run it. All right. Pin it there, gentlemen. And uh, we're going to talk to Coach Paul McKesty next here on the sports scene. Hey, welcome back to the sports scene for our third segment. It's time for Coach Mo's Corner. I'm joined by my favorite big man and center of the NBA, formerly, and then former coach as well. He's just the all-around basketball guy for us at this show, and we always appreciate his time on the sports scene. Coach Paul McKeskey. Coach, good to see you. I know you uh, aren't feeling (laughs) your normal best, but I'm so glad you could join us. Yeah, I kind of was on the injury reserve last week. I had my knee replaced on Monday. Uh, everything went great. <clears throat> you know, everything's fine in there. Now I'm starting rehab, and pain is minimal, but it's still there, and I'm going to have to fight through that just like I did when I played. But uh, it's uh, quite amazing of what doctors can do now and totally replace your knee. And, uh, you know, uh, from what I've seen on the other side and talked to a lot of people, it's just night and day, and uh, they were just great. You know, the doctors, the nurses. You know, you're, I'm in a in a recovery room or the uh, rehab room uh, for two days, uh, sleeping in a lounge couch in a lounge chair. You know, nice. So, you know, can't really get up by myself, and you know, got to ring the bell if I want to go to the bathroom. <laughs> oh you know, man! So it kind of, it kind of humbles you, but uh, you know, I'm excited to see where this is going. But uh, you know. Uh, I've had about five requests to do uh, to do a show, but the only one I picked at this time was yours. That's oh, it. really? Yeah, just I'm if, just you know, a lucky guy, aren't I? Yeah, I mean, I just was knocking them off left and right. No, no, I can't do your show. I do Jesse's show. Perfect. <laughs> well, I'm so happy to have you. Well, actually, a quick question for you: Did so obviously, you know, you played 20 years of basketball, and then afterwards, you coached for a while, which also requires you to stand on it. Were you feeling it? while you were coaching as well oh yeah people don't understand yeah you don't realize you know of course when you're a coach you don't have to run like you used to but you have to stand for two three hours at a time and 
Uh, that's that's bad on your ankles, your knees, your back, uh, especially the older you get. And uh, you know, it's it's it, you know, it seems like it's stupid. You know, you're just standing up. You know, but if you're seven foot, three hundred pounds, and you have arthritis in every every knee and ankle you can think of, standing up is uh, it can be painful that, and a hassle. Yeah, the math and adds actually, up there. <laughs> and actually, you know, I've coached for over twenty years and had some opportunities here over the last year or so with some friends of mine. And uh, I just couldn't take a job where, uh, you know, I have to stand for practice and, 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 and do that stuff and to travel also. So, you know, yeah, absolutely. Your mind, your body breaks down and, and, and uh, you have to give it up as a player eventually. And same thing as a coach. It just, you know, it, it just happens. Coach. Well, uh, we're hoping for a speedy recovery for you. Thank you so much for taking time on to this show. Let's talk about some Team USA. You ready? Absolutely. All right. So there was plenty to evaluate as Team USA moved to 4-0 and on its pre-FIBA World Cup Tour Friday night, beating old rival Greece 108-86 to in its first ever game in the United Arab Emirates. But perhaps the most relevant item came before the game. That's when your buddy, Coach Steve Kerr, filled out his lineup card with the same five names to start the fourth consecutive game. This is kind of an unusual development in preparation for any international competition for any Team USA, which usually spends its few weeks of prep time and sometimes even the first few games of the tournament searching for continuity. And that was especially a concern with this group where all 12 players are playing for the senior national team for the first time and there's very limited experience playing under FIBA rules. Kerr has already settled largely on how he wants to play, small and fast, as he's leaned into over the past decade with the Golden State Warriors, obviously, and found the foundation of many roles quickly. What were your thoughts yeah, starting and, off seeing all this? Yeah, international basketball is different, of course. Uh, I, I've coached with the uh, Jamaican national team for a couple of years and the Great Britain team uh, for a couple of years, culminating in the 2012 Olympics in London. And it's a different a different animal because a lot of these teams uh, are used to playing together and they've played together before. Serbia, uh, you know, teams like that, Lithuania. Uh, so sometimes when they go into their training camp at this time, they know everybody. Everybody knows everybody. They know the offense. They know what's expected. So now we're going to find out who's the hottest player now at this time that we can put in the starting lineup. Team USA is different than that. They were thrown together uh, not thrown together, but brought together here in, in Las Vegas, uh, you know, for five days of training. So, you know, and you got to get a new system offensively and defensively. You got to get used to your teammates. I was at their second practice on Friday here. And, uh, you know, it, it was a nice practice and upbeat until they scrimmaged the, uh, uh, the, the team, uh, the select team. And they didn't look very good and they looked out of sync. And, but then when you look, I was, looking around and telling people listen this this is their second practice together that's it yeah so i think that i think steve came in with the strategy of hey i know who i want i know the vision i want for this team and i'm gonna i'm gonna dictate that early and i'm gonna stay with that throughout the way and that does a couple things that the on the negative side it tells some players that have come here thinking they might be able to start you're not going to start uh you'll probably come off the bench and at this, but at the same time, it tells the the starting five, you're my starters, and my uh, my uh, 
three or four rotation guys. You're my rotation guys. And this is how it's going to go. So let's just start homing in on that right now before it gets too late because, you know, they practiced for five days. They had a, a practice game against Puerto Rico. It's kind of sloppy. Uh, then, then they went to uh, Malaga, Spain, a place I love, one of my favorite places on in the world, uh, and played a couple games. And you know, so I think that's part of Steve's strategy. Let's let's not screw around. This is who my starters are. This is how we're going to play, and let's focus on that. And and I think he's done a good job of that. I think so too. And especially in this game, the team is, it seemed like they were settling into their patterns, which can be so valuable in these like tight prep windows. I saw Anthony Edwards who came in as the team's leading scorer. He led them with 21 points. He hit three, three pointers in just 18 minutes. Also Mikhail Bridges who came in ridiculously efficient shooting 68% in the first few games, he was efficient again and he made three of his five shots and scored 10 points. And then you have their other three starters, Jalen Brunson, Brandon Ingram, Jaron Jackson Jr. They generally showed good ball and body movement and active defense that was largely been a feature of the last two weeks in these exhibitions. But the one thing I want to point out is in their game versus Spain, they actually got out-rebounded. But the interesting part was Steve Kerr pivoted and he said, even though this is a concern for the team that is purposely constructed this way, I'm going to do this and beat these teams with speed rather than bulk. And the U.S. actually won the glass against Greece 49-35. to Obviously, Giannis Antetokounmpo didn't play, yeah. so Greece didn't have their national hero. But still, for a team that's constructed this way to go small and focus on speed rather than bulk, and you still win on the glass. That's interesting. Yeah, and I think a lot of that is the security that Steve has with USA Basketball and, and uh, you know, all that that entails. He. You know, he he knows he can do what he feels is right, and he's not going to catch a lot of flack from those people. And, uh, you know, he he did that. The one thing that stood out uh, in the last couple games to me was Jalen Brunson. Jalen Brunson in the first few games was very uh, apprehensive, didn't score very much, was quite frankly was struggling with his jump shot. He could not make an open three-point jump shot. And I think him coming out of a sump is huge for them. Uh, you know, going into pool play here pretty shortly. And, uh, you know, it's it's funny because <laughs> I went to practice on uh, Friday and uh, I watched them scrimmage a select team. And, you know, they struggled a little bit. The, the overreaction from the media, you know, oh, they got blown out. I know they didn't. They lost, they lost one quarter by two and they lost the other one by six, I think, uh, in their 10-minute quarters. But um, I text Steve after that <laughs> and I said, hey uh, – you know, you got to, you know, stick with it. You're doing great. It's going to be good. Uh, I like the second team a lot. Not as much. I didn't <laughs> like that first team very much. So That's it shows funny. you how much he listens to me. <laughs> <laughs> good, as he should be. Also, by the way, two guys that we haven't mentioned yet, Cam Johnson and Austin Reeves, they've been, like, torching opponents with their sharp shooting off the bench. And they did so again, and they combined for 24 points in that game against Greece. By the way... USA will play Greece, Jordan, and New Zealand in the first round of the group phase as part of Group C, which begins August 26th. So from the time that this airs, one week until the FIBA World Basketball Cup. Coach, the final thing, I don't want to take up too much of your time. So the final thing I want to ask you about is this whole James Harden situation because Ooh. 
This James Harden, yeah, exactly. Well, with with James Harden still adamant about being traded this summer, the Philadelphia 76ers star earlier this week called president of basketball operations Daryl Morey a liar, adding that he will never be part of an organization that he's a part of. And Harden's recent comments about Morey have led to calls for the NBA to reinvestigate the Sixers to assess what Morey allegedly lied to Harden about. What is going on here with James Harden and our final little thoughts here on the sports scene? Well, number one, James Harden is – you got to look at his history, right? He's one of I, – personally, I don't like the way he plays. I, he, I think he over-dribbles. He, you know, he, he, he's uh, too much in his feelings all the time. And, and quite frankly, he doesn't come up pretty, very big in big games. You know, but let's look at a player of that. The numbers he's put up, MVPs and triple doubles and scoring leaders and assist leaders. And he's played on, uh, you know, he's played some great basketball. But let's face it, he wanted out of OKC and he went to Houston. Then he went out of Houston. They went to Brooklyn. They went out of Brooklyn. He went to Philly and he already wants out of Philly. So sometimes it's maybe you need to look in the mirror and maybe it's something that you're doing. So uh, if you're that good a player and you get bounced around that much, there's probably something going on uh, that a lot of us on the outside don't know that on the inside is happening. I do know a couple things. I won't share them here. But, you know, that that's what happens. And, uh, you know, for, as far as uh, calling Daryl Morey a liar, who actually Daryl Morey brought um, uh, Harden to Houston. Yeah. He was the general manager in Houston uh, that ended up paying him. I don't know, two, three hundred million, I don't know, whatever that number is. And then again, brought him to Philly. You know, it's going to cause an investigation. And guess what, uh, uh, James Harden? You're going to be part of that investigation. And if you have anything to yep. do with it, you're going to get you're hit screwed. with that too. So, you know, it's just, I talk, I think we talked about our show a year ago or a little more when the collective bargaining agreement was coming up. Yeah. And I, and I told you how. I know this is going to be a hard-fought battle because owners are not happy with paying players $100, $200, 3000000 million in contracts and having those same players flip around and a year or two later demanding, demanding, not requesting, demanding trades, and now they've been done. Simmons, Harden, those demands have been met, and the owners are not happy with that. If I... Yes, if I offered you three hundred million, you know, to work with me for the next five years, you know, that should be that's done. It's okay. Next five years, we're doing that. You know, if you if you come to me two years later and say I demand you you let me go to ESPN, uh, you know, because you're a liar, that's the problem. And the owners have seen this coming, agents have seen this coming, and now guess what? It's time for the players to see that coming, and uh, you know. There's going to be an investigation and probably some hefty penalties uh, moving forward. And James Harden, you know, no matter what you say, no matter how much they burned you or how much they did you wrong, you can't say that in public. It's not, it's, you, you know, he, here's what you do. Get a lawyer. He's going <laughs> to have lawyer. to. Yeah, get a lawyer and agent and work it out. But yeah, that's it's not good for the NBA. And, We've talked about this. I played in the NBA for 12 years. I coached in the NBA Development League for eight. I coached in the NBA for six. You know, NBA is part of my family. I'm a part of the Retired Players Association. And this just isn't good look for the whole league. No, and all not that even is, the slightest. 
and all the good stuff that's happened over the years. The salaries, come on, man. Ridiculous. You know, and okay, so, okay, owners, you have to pay a big salary, but guess what? Your your franchises are worth three or four billion dollars now. Everybody's winning. Right? Yeah, you got more money than God at that point. So, coach, we're gonna monitor the whole FIBA situation as that moves forward, and we're also gonna monitor both the James Harden and the Dame Lillard situation. We didn't get to get into Dame Lillard this week, but we'll definitely talk about that next time. But I want to monitor those two things with you that's as a, well. That's a, that's another thing, just that other people have to know out there. Okay, I demand to be traded. You make thirty-five million; it has to fit in a salary cap, and there's a lot Everything, of moving it's, it's parts. It's a puzzle pieces, yeah. Yeah. The one good thing is when he opted into that, he has a one-year deal, which makes it a valuable deal for someone. I could take him on just like a Kyrie, and I could see if we can win. If not, I could just let him see, go uh, if I want yep, to. Let him walk, and that and that comes off my salary cap. Thank you. Exactly. So, coach, we're gonna monitor all those things going forward. Heal up. Hope you feel better. Thanks so much for coming on the sports scene. All right, man. Coach Mo's Corner here, as always. One more segment coming up in a sec. Hey, we're back here on the sports scene for our final segment. We're going to go into one of our newer games. It's called Who's More Likely? We're going to juxtapose two things. All right, Alvin, we're going to start with you. Who's more likely to get traded first? Dame Lillard or James Harden? That's tough. Uh, my heart, man. My heart tells me Dame Lillard, but realistically, James Harden's going to come back. He's going to be 345 pounds with a six-inch vertical with diabetes, maybe some asthma too, and then he's going to get traded. He's going to get exactly what he wants. He's done it twice. Um, I Yeah, James Harden is probably going to be out of the 76ers before Lillard's out of Portland. And you hate to see it. You know what's funny about that whole situation is like literally today on Twitter, <laughs> James Harden posted this like super wholesome photo dump hours, literally I mean, like merely hours after he ended his trip uh, in China by standing in front of a group of kids and telling them how much of a disgraceful liar his GM is. And I'm like, yo, I, that's a 10 out of 10. I have no notes for that. <laughs> he, lived, he he goes through all his, all his uh, emotions for sure yeah, every right. single one of them Max next question for you who's more likely to get in more trouble Deshaun Watson or Wander Franco and also I was just sent a tweet that said the attorney general of the Dominican Republic says that there is a complaint filed by a minor against Wander Franco According to the Attorney General of the Dominican Republic, it's another young woman, not the one on social media. All right. I have some insider report to give everyone right now. Uh-oh. So one of my close friends in my fantasy football league had a girlfriend who was from, from Florida who was a cheerleader at Ball State, and Wander Franco slid into her DMs back in the day. Oh, man. Zero cap. Zero cap. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so for the longest time, we all had jokes about him um, because Wander Franco literally slid into – and that's when they were dating at the time. So that being said, only from the evidence that had been presented to me, I don't think she's the only nice young woman, emphasis on young, that Wander Franco's ever sent a DM to on Instagram. Um, so for that reason, he shoots his shot and 
I ho- like I said, I I want to respect the the man, but sometimes he, the, these men are just dogs, and so I'm gonna have to say that it's probably gonna be him getting a little bit more trouble. Makes sense. All right, Alvin, who's more likely to have a bigger season, Ezekiel Elliott with the New England Patriots or Saquon Barkley with the New York Giants? I think it's going to be Saquon. I think just the direction of their careers is just different. And obviously with Zeke, he, his story dictates just because the player he was. I, I really paid attention to him in that Ohio State team um, way back when. But I, I really think that he can. He has the capabilities. He has everything in front of him, the tools. And now he has the coach. He has the system that will allow him to just be fresh and with him being fresh, that, that means he might pop for a big play here and there. But if you just look at stats, it'd be crazy to think that he's going to just magically pop off. Obviously, it's a new ch- a change of scenery, and there's a lot that could happen there. But with Saquon, I, I think he's just a better player right now in this moment. So I think he has a better season. I also think he has a better season, I think, specifically because he is the confirmed running back one, you know. <laughs> Sets up his case yeah, a lot more, and, and they've needed him to set up Danny Dimes to make Danny Dimes what he is, I guess, $40 million a year is... That's I mean, he should be giving a lot of that to Saquon, to be honest, because Saquon has been setting up his passing game way more. And, you know, give give kudos to the head coach, the new head coach. Like, you know, he got them in a better scheme, but at the same time, Saquon's the leader on that team for sure. Max, what are your thoughts on this? Who's more likely to have a bigger season, Zeke or Saquon's? I I think it's going to depend on one player from each team. And that player is going to be Devontae Parker on the Patriots and then Darren Waller yeah. on the Giants. Because if there's another option that you can like have just any reliance on, on creating offense, then it's obviously going to help out any offensive player on the, on the team. And... Now, Darren Waller has the capacity to to be better because he's an athletic freak from you know the the like a Zeus spawned individual. But Devontae Parker, he for some reason everyone has says that he has all the potential in the world every year, which I never believe. So for that being said, I think Saquon has the obvious um, upper hand here. But it's going to come down to one of those two players who can really help create the offense for him. Alvin. Who's more likely to dominate in the other's era? Michael Jordan in today's game or LeBron James in Michael Jordan's era? I'm not going to lie to you. I think they would actually both be insane. Because if you think of LeBron James... Like, okay, we I'll start with Michael Jordan because we talk about LeBron James all the time, especially just the memes nowadays of what he would do to guys that, you know... And we have to keep the the systems in place. Like, everything that LeBron is now because of the technology and all those that stuff we keep all that we're not doing this oh if lebron was born back then he would he wouldn't have any food to eat like we're not doing that stuff and i'm saying with michael jordan like actually with michael jordan we could give him a little bit of a handicap because if he had today's technologies and if he was able to study let's say a, a michael jordan himself and able to see guys like that we would have kobe 2.0 just a a, a a smaller version but i think jordan's mindset would allow him to absolutely dismantle this league today because a lot of guys today don't necessarily love the game as much as he loved competing and you've seen that like guys like Dane Lillard a lot of the old heads you see that with uh DeMar DeRozan like they a lot of the upper echelon players in the league talk about how today 
the guys just don't they just don't have the same mindset. So I think Jordan would be phenomenal just based off his mentality and and that stuff. And I think just the physicals for LeBron would just be out otherworldly. Max, so both. You're contemplating <laughs> what you got. I think I agree with Alvin once again. I think he had a really great take. Yeah. At first, at first, I I was actually, my first initial thought that came into my brain was that LeBron would absolutely dominate, Um, which I was starting to laugh because I was like, I'm screwed in this argument (laughs) for everything that I've ever said. But then Alvin actually said something that made sense for Michael Jordan's, um, you know, tenacity and, and, and his approach to the game would is above and beyond any player we've probably truly seen. And and that's just because that's just what it was back in the day. I saw a video yeah. of this one of this one rookie who elbowed Kareem in the stomach and then it was like his second game in the league or whatever, and then Kareem literally punched him in the face. <laughs> Bro. Like, I saw that video today. You know what I mean? Like he elbowed him, Kareem to like grabbed his stomach you know, pretended, went to go guard him, and then took his fist and put it in, in the rookie's mouth. And that's just what the game was, right? And so uh, there's arguments for everything, but I truly think it's so it's actually very even where they both would excel in their same ways in any time period, to be honest. So Alvin was right. B-O-F-O. <laughs> that's what we're rolling with. You can't have both. Nothing in this life is both. Yeah, you can't. I'm going for both. Man, Iman yeah. Shumpert got. Two I'm actually of them. taking like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I agree. That might have to get edited out. Okay, but... Max. Final. <laughs> the final question is for you: Are you more likely to a swim with sharks or b no. be able to outrun an alligator? Multiple. I could alligators. outrun. Let's let's put multiple alligators okay, in the question. Okay, alligators. I'm dude. These sharks are dude. We we need to start sharks fishing sharks. Done. We like we we need to start hunting sharks because they've been going crazy these past few months. So yeah, get rid, get rid of them. A- anything besides shark, every <laughs> single thing besides a shark is what I'll pick. Do you like shark fin soup, Max? I've Did never. I don't know. Have you ever eaten shark? I have not eaten shark, but I think we should start killing sharks as a society. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's time. Oh, they, 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 these sharks have lost their 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 damn minds. They don't have <laughs> minds. They're they have. After, just, they're going after submarines these days. These whatever has happened to sharks, they become over aggressive. Maybe it's because we're throwing too much plastic in the ocean and fusing with their brain, becoming aggro and stupid. But they're actually killing people. Yeah, or it's just cocaine shark. Anyways, (laughs) thank you, Coach Mo. Thank you, Alvin and Max. You actually had some great takes today. And thank you all for tuning in today to the show on iHeartRadio and iHeartRadio Podcast. You want want a little more sports madness in your life? We'll tune back in on Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. Eastern time or find us on whatever streaming platform that you use. Also, please rate, comment, and download the show. And next week, we'll be back with our fantasy football special with Rahul Natarajan. So stay tuned. Until then, stay happy, stay healthy, and we'll see you right back here on the sports scene with Jesse O presented by First Bet.